0: This is Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm Scott Bertram, and with me today is State Representative Andrew Fink from the 58th District, Branch, and Hillsdale counties. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me, as always. And remind me again the new number district that people will see you on the ballot in the, in the fall. 35. 35. So you're going from 58 to 35. So in Chicago parlance, where I'm from, you're going from Wilbur Marshall from the 85 Bears to Frank Thomas, the greatest White Sox player of all time. Is that true? He's the greatest of all time? Oh, absolutely. Wow. I don't even think there's a, there's a real fight about that. He couldn't play defense by his own admission. He was a decent defensive first baseman for the first 10 years or so. Then things started to get a little shaky. Didn't he like walk off the
1: field in the spring training game or something when he, he miss, mishandled the ground ball and just sort of said, this is stupid. I shouldn't be out here. I'm
0: a DH. I don't recall that. Uh-huh. Actually, he wanted to play first base. He thought his stats were better when he played first base uh-huh. when he was an active defensive sure. player. So it doesn't That doesn't sound like a story that would ring true because he always wanted to be in the field
1: well my my memory of White Sox history is not as good as yours (laughs) but uh for for Tiger fans out there Justin Verlander was 35 and I I and I think most Tiger fans still claim Justin Verlander as a Tiger great even though he's having an amazing second act in Houston
0: had a lot of Tigers fans by the way chirping after the opening day win over the White Sox and then fewer after the White Sox took two of the first three games baseball that's baseball fun stuff um, hopefully fun stuff today as we discuss, although I, I'm, I'm not sure it will start that way. I wanted to talk about Governor Whitmer's move to, uh, to go to the Supreme Court of Michigan and ask them to look at the 1931 law that's on the books on abortion and essentially asking them to invalidate that law that's been on the books for, obviously, quite a long time. What do you think is behind this? Is it uh, simply uh, you know preparing for a Supreme Court decision? Is there some election year not shenanigans, but election you're positioning here in this, in this move by the governor?
1: Well, I frankly think that our governor is extremely political. In fact, I think in, in discussing this, she said something like, I don't get into the politics, which I think when the history books are written, everyone's going to acknowledge that she thinks about politics basically all the time. So yes, I think that it's probably largely politically motivated. I suppose um, maybe she does think that the uh, that the Dobbs case that's pending at the United States Supreme Court now will alter the, um, uh, what, what, what would you call it? Judicial regulation of abortion, um, freeing up legislation to be more impactful than it is under the, the Casey Rowe framework. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can call it a framework. So, uh, I, I think it's largely political, um, she claims that she thinks she's she's doing work that is supported by a majority of Michiganians. I definitely don't think that that's accurate, uh, but I suppose that's her problem, not mine. Um, I think that the the so night the, you referred to it as the 1931 law, which is accurate, but it's all it's basically the same language that, that the state of Michigan's had since 1846, maybe right. exactly the same language. I don't remember if it if it got changed in the I think it's sort of been recodified a couple of times, but uh the, the overall point I would make here is that Michigan's had a consistent um, sort of ethic of citizenship and uh, humanity since at least the 1846 uh, uh, pro-life law you're talking about. You know, Michigan's also been, um, uh, was, was at the time, a leader in the abolitionist movement. Mm-hmm. Obviously that's important to this college uh, the Republican Party all founded very near here. I mean, the college and the party were founded in Jackson County, um, the next county door north, by the same kind of people who thought that uh, killing unborn babies was a bad, a, an evil move because uh, you're, you're talking about a person, yes, small, yes, underdeveloped, whatever, but the same kind of person that you and I are and so entitled to the same kind of rights. Uh, so that's kind of my my take on on why this should be important to Michigan to maintain it. There has been a Michigan Supreme Court case, I think from the '70s, shortly after Roe versus Wade, that found that our constitution was not violated by mm-hmm. our pro life legislation. So we'll uh, I guess we'll see what happens with the with a court case. I'm not going to be I'm not going to be uh, you know the lawyer on it, so I don't I, I don't know exactly what the ins and outs of the li- of the litigation are going to be on it, uh, but I certainly think it's worth fighting for.
0: You are a lawyer, though. I'm not. I know just enough to get myself in trouble. C- can you explain the concept of standing in a case like this? Why sure. does the governor have standing to take this case to the Michigan Supreme Court?
1: So as I understand it, this and this is something I never did confront as a lawyer, so I'm I'm kind of learning about it uh, right along with you. There There is a provision uh, somewhere in our laws, I, I haven't actually looked at this, that, that sort of allows the governor to, to sort of juice a, juice a case up and get it to the court directly. Standing is a concept where it essentially says that that both parties in a case uh, have got to have a stake in the case, mm-hmm. a stake in the outcome of the case, and and our courts as a rule don't answer um, questions in sort of an academic or advisory right. fashion, right. Right. right? So overall, the idea is that the 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 litigants have to actually have a stake in the outcome in order to produce good, reliable results. On the, in the federal constitution, the 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 language of Cases and controversy. The courts are there to decide cases and controversies. It's not a controversy if we just have an act, an abstract argument. It's only a controversy if you and I both kind of want the same thing or what you know we're we're at, at odds on a, on a legal issue.
0: Abstract arguments. That's that's what college is for. Yes,
1: that's right. Yeah. <laughs> There's no cases and controversies in the Hillsdale Honor Code. But uh, anyway, so the the I guess the the idea here would be that there is a public interest in some questions. You know, so that when the state has an interest, it you know it's always sort of. You know, this the the state is is a uh, way of expressing the people at, at large so i guess that's kind of the idea there but but it is it is an issue that I hadn't i, I wasn't particularly aware of beforehand um, often there are ways for the administration to, to get an issue into the courts but this kind of fast track to the Supreme Court. It's just something I hadn't come across before.
0: State Representative Andrew Fink with us on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM, also on this uh, abortion case being taken to the Michigan Supreme Court. Uh, In normal circumstances, it would be the job of the Attorney General to defend Michigan law. Denon Nestle, our Attorney General, has said she will not do this. She will not go to to court to the Supreme Court and defend this abortion law. So who will be defending this law on behalf of the state?
1: So I, I I can't answer that question uh, with exact precision, but I would say it is typical for the legislature to intervene in cases like this. And it is typical for the courts to grant that intervention because there is a legitimate interest on the part of the legislature in defending the laws that the legislature has passed. So in similar instances in the past, that's what happened. That's what has happened. Uh, So I would take that as the best guide we have for how this is going to proceed. Again, kind of not having been in Lansing and in discussions about these things, I, I, uh, I don't have the—I uh, I can't tell you exactly what is happening, but I would take that as a guide.
0: Also, Governor Gretchen Whitmer, a week or two ago uh, vetoing a pair of bills that passed the House and the Senate that dealt with cleaning up the voter rolls in Michigan. And this stems from an issue that predates 2020 even. There was an opinion by the Auditor General that said, we've got some issues in the state when it comes to our voter rolls because— We have people who have uh, placeholder birth dates, meaning if if it's unclear, uncertain, or it wasn't listed, it's listed as January first, nineteen hundred. We have people who have not verified addresses, and we should clean these things up. A pair of bills would do that. Essentially, would send a card out. If you respond, great. If you don't, you still have uh, two other election cycles. In the end, essentially, you'd have if you if you voted any time in the past thirty years or so, you would still be retained. On their voter rolls, Governor says that uh, she vetoed because it is too expensive and places too much of a burden on both clerks to do the work and on citizens to then affirm that they are who they are or they live where they are or their birth date is what it is.
1: So the the I think that this scheme or, or a very similar one is employed in several other states, including Ohio. Uh, where there was a Supreme Court case a few years ago right a very similar scheme maybe even one that was a little more aggressive I don't remember whether 30 uh, 30 years was a, a realistic amount of time that you could have stuck around on that one or not but it was certainly some period of years um, so it's not exactly revolutionary legislation Um in terms of it being onerous i mean when this when the state is sending the communication to you it does make sense i it as you say this kind of uh, this and many other election policies that the governor's vetoed are concepts that predate 2020 right in 2020 i mean this we heard lots of testimony about some some problems including i have a colleague who uh, has told me that uh, uh, either she or a neighbor received a ballot for somebody who had moved out of the state years and years ago and actually died in Minnesota like in 2014 or something.
0: Our mutual friend, Greg Corumbus at Radio America in D.C. I talked to him about this story and he's been out in D.C. for 24 years. He received a ballot in the mail to his parents' address in Michigan this last cycle. In the UP. Yes.
1: So that that kind of just underscores that a lot of these, uh, a lot of the rhetoric around these things is totally overheated. Um, It's... It's really not a particularly onerous scheme. Uh, and and all you have to actually do, you don't even have to return the thing, right, because you, you stick around for a couple of elections so if you, you could again. show up and vote. Correct, correct. Which, if you still live there, is what you would kind of expect somebody to do. Uh, in in terms, I think the governor also mentioned that it was, she didn't like the expense associated with administering this uh, new policy or what would have been a new policy. And I guess as far as that goes, uh, the estimate, as I understand, is about $100,000, which is, I, I'm not, I'm not strong enough at math to, to tell you off the top of my head whether it's a ten thousandth or whatever of the state budget, but it's not a lot of it. You know, seventy-two billion dollars or so is I think what we're expected to spend this year. A hundred thousand is a very small amount of that. But uh, even if it were somewhat more expensive, you know, administering elections in a constitutional republic is a fundamental part of the government. Right. All right. So I don't usually. Uh, it doesn't, government program being too expensive on its own terms isn't good. Uh, but the fact that something like the courts cost money or election administration costs money or jail costs money, I mean, what are you doing if, what are you spending your money on if not those things? So, you know, I don't think 100000 is a meaningful amount of money really in, in this case. But even if it were more money, it wouldn't necessarily mean we shouldn't do it because this is a fundamental problem you know,
0: part of what we
1: expect our government to
0: do. And if you haven't taken care of it for a long time, like it appears in this case, going back 22 years, essentially, yes, it will take time to do things that haven't been done before and money that hasn't been spent over the past 20 years or so.
1: Yeah, that's right. Some of this money should have been spent doing this already.
0: Uh, one note, I want to make sure I was clear. So Greg didn't receive a ballot. He received a, a, a requ- you know, request, An application. An application. Yeah. For, yeah. But still, he, he had requested multiple times to be taken off the rolls. He hasn't lived here in 24 years and still received that request for absentee ballot during this past election. At least he's alive. That's correct. State Representative Andrew Fink with us on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. We, we had talked last time, maybe the past two times, in fact, about potential gas tax relief For drivers across the state of Michigan, the House and Senate had an idea and the governor went to the feds and and she had a different idea. And now since the last time we've talked, uh, you guys have not been in session in Lansing, so very hard to move anything forward when no one's there to vote. Are you at all optimistic that now weeks after the fact and weeks after the initial rise in prices, we are seeing them decline a bit in, in, in recent weeks, too, that there will be any action toward gas prices in Michigan?
1: I don't know. I mean the go- again the governor's uh, the fact that her policy preference here was to turn towards another element of government the federal government for the tax relief that we could have ourselves provided suggests to me that she's not that serious about it. I think she's she's mentioned uh, the possibility of the of the sales tax itself being suspended. That the the only challenge there is as I think we did maybe talk about is that that funds different parts, right. you know, that, that puts money in different places in the state budget uh which make, makes it just a little more complicated it would be at the, I mean, it would have been what at $4 be 24 cents. Mm-hmm. So comparable, a little less in terms of the, the amount of money that would be saved at the pump. But as the, as the amount goes down, the revenues that have be affected would also go down. So, you know, it's, I know we talked about the kind of the, the weirdness that we tax both a percentage of your, of your purchase of gas of, uh, and the volume itself of your, your purchases of gas. But anyway, I, I mean, Scott, I guess I would say I'm I'm somewhat skeptical that she's really serious about tax relief, but if she is, then I expect the conversation to continue.
0: Speaking of the gas tax, the governor, one of the governor's big ideas entering office was a 45-cent gas tax increase to yeah. fund uh, road construction and, and repairs and bridge repairs across the state. That didn't happen, obviously, and now nearly to the end of her first term in office, Uh, There is still work being done on roads and plans being done. There's a big story in the Detroit News recently about costs for all these projects increasing quite a bit, which I suppose you'd expect as inflation takes hold. Uh, The story said that most most road repair bids are coming in at least 10% over what was estimated. Most bridge repair costs are coming in about 35% more than anticipated. Let's just take this kind of holistically. Yeah, uh, where do we stand on some of the big, big road bridge repair projects that perhaps have been in the works for the past couple of years? And is it possible some things simply won't get done because the costs now are increasing at a pretty high rate?
1: I'm not sure about the, the answer to your second question because the the governor's bonding. Um, I don't think it has it has to all be spent in a particular amount of time. So she's she's generated billions of dollars by bonding, and that will be paid back over a long course of time which is part of my problem with it it's it's taxing future generations when you when you bond billions of dollars today doesn't mean it's a illegitimate tool but it probably should be one that you exercise with caution and not simply because you didn't do the work to persuade people that a 45 cent gas tax increase was necessary the problem of the inflation i mean so we have this general inflation problem happening nationwide Uh, certainly including Michigan. Gas taxes are one expression of it. Food prices are up. I know you keep a close eye on the cost of a brick of cheese from Kroger or Walmart. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are we up on on cheese? Like 25% or something. Cottage
0: cheese was up 18% this past weekend,
1: yes. 18%. So that's pretty severe, right? I mean, you expect... I'm trying to remember now to Dr. Wolfram's classes here. I think we expect like around 3% inflation a year, something like that. Uh, Maybe maybe a little lower than that's ideal, Uh, but... uh, this level of inflation generally is is going to present problems. It's going to contribute to problems that are more acute, like the inflation in road construction that you you get if you try to dump a bunch of money into it all at once. So the bridge projects, for instance, I think that that was kind of baked into the 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 calculations, or at least it should have been. It was kind of in the back of my mind as we as we elected to spend hundreds of million dollars of millions of dollars on bridge repairs. the The, the issue there is that the bridges, or we're in critical condition in a lot of them. I mean Mm -hmm. that, that bridges even more than the roads generally have been neglected, I think in our state, um, for decades. And so, uh, having to pay more for it than you otherwise would have, uh, was kind of part of the cost of neglecting it all that time on the, on the road side of things though, the more patient approach of, of adding general fund dollars that the legislature began, uh, in the Snyder administration and, um, I think was a more disciplined way of of doing this would have prevented some of the inflation that I think the bonding that the governor did has created. But you can't just dump a bunch of money into one state's road projects. In I mean, our state we can only work on them for about half the year, right? Right. So you got this start and stop problem. You have the uh, the the problem of market entry. Um, Believe it or not, I actually think like even even something like the fact that we're a peninsula and uh, don't have as many firms like right on the border means that that for something like this the rate of entry into the market is going to be somewhat diminished mm-hmm. And so I mean we're just, it's just literally harder to get your equipment into parts of our state than it is if you're in you know Tennessee and you got eight states on your border right whatever so I I don't mean to to make a uh, To exaggerate the importance of that I'm just saying like it contributes to the possibility that you don't have new entrance Which means instead of when you put more money into the system instead of paying uh, the same amount of money but for more roads uh, or the same amount of money per mile for more roads you're paying more per mile for the same number of roads that were already getting fixed that's I think the big challenge and a, a slower increase in the in the amount of money we are spending on the roads would kind of allow the the additional entry into the market to, to take place at a rate more comparable to the what would otherwise be inflationary spending that you're doing when you dump a bunch in all at once which both because of the federal policy and the governor's uh, bonding I
0: think we have um, it it does mean that you're getting less bang for your buck. State Representative Andrew Fink, one final question. Since the last time we've talked, we had this $4.8, 4600000000 billion infrastructure bill agreed to by by both the House and Senate and the Governor, signed into law, uh, being executed, so there's money there for uh, water repair, water line repair, there's money there for roads, bridges, there's money for broadband, there's parks and trails. Anything in particular uh, that is earmarked for or that we should be aware of here locally in, in Hillsdale County, where we might benefit benefit from that. So the, that package
1: actually has relatively few specific projects in it. Most of them are on on a scale that would exceed what you'd what you'd see in in this area. But there are, I mean, so the water infrastructure. Uh, more than one of my municipalities, I think three of them, had actually asked me earlier this year about funding for water infrastructure issues. Uh, i think city of bronson and the city of uh, litchfield and maybe the city of hillsdale certainly roads I mean, the city of hillsdale has done a lot of work on roads but every i mean we just talked about how it's a statewide problem uh every community in in my district has needs to to address with with uh local roads other kinds of infrastructure i mean you mentioned the parks and things like that the uh, the rural broadband i think is a particularly important issue because we're, if you're in an area like ours, you're already physically isolated from a lot of the modern economy. Uh, Being technologically isolated as well creates additional barriers to kind of this area, keeping up with uh, what's happening in more, more densely populated areas, even though those economies still need us. uh, If we're kind of less nimble, we're not going to be in as uh, good of a position to take advantage of it. I mean, certainly if you want to eat bacon in, uh, in, a county like Wayne County with two million people in it. I mean, I gen- genuinely don't know if there's a single commercial hog operation <laughs> in Wayne County, but I know they consume a lot of bacon, so they definitely need us. If we can get our rural broadband up to snuff, then it'll make it easier for our people to kind of take advantage of those relationships. So that's those are the things I think are 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 most immediately relevant in our area: the water infrastructure, some of the road things, and then the rural broadband. Those are all issues that I hear about
0: with with frequency across the entire district. State Representative Andrew Fink, 58th District Branch in Hillsdale County, soon to be running in the 35th District. If people need to get a hold of you or the office, what's the best way to do so?
1: RepFink.com.
0: RepFink.com. State Representative Andrew Fink, thanks for joining us here on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Thanks, Scott. More of our interviews and conversations on our SoundCloud page. Go to SoundCloud.com. Search for WRFH Radio Free Hillsdale. And I'm Scott Bertram on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM.